0: Alright, good morning. It's good to see everybody this morning. man. Welcome to Summit Crossing Community Church, especially if you're visiting with us. We're really thankful that you're giving us some of your time today. I'll just say this to you if you're visiting with us. We don't think it's an accident that you're here this morning. I realize that there might have been someone who's been bugging you for a long time to come. And like you finally caved in and like that's my, maybe why you're here finally. But, but regardless of the reason why you came, we think that, that, that it's really God behind that. So we don't think it's an accident that you're here. And I'll just tell you what our hope for you is this morning. It, it's not that you would stick here. It's not that you would you know, just keep coming and all that. We, we would love if you want to connect more with us, uh, for you to connect more with us. But that's not what we're all about here. We, we want you to know the God that we just sang about. And so our hope is everything that we're saying, everything that we're singing about, everything we're doing this morning just simply allows God to put his glory on display to you uh, today, that you could see him, that you could turn to him. If you don't believe in Jesus yet, that you would believe in him by the time you leave, and so uh, I tell you that up front because I think a lot of guys stand on a stage like this, and there's a lot of smoke and mirrors, a lot of manipulation, a lot of trying to get you uh, to just kind of belong to our tribe or something like that, or maybe we're coming after your money or something like that, and I just want to let you know that's not what we're about, and so we don't, I don't have any other cards on the table, like we just, we want you to believe in Jesus, Uh, we want you to glorify God, and if you want to join our church, man, there's some connect cards there, you you can, you can fill out one of those, Uh, you don't have to, But if you want to connect some more, we'd love to get in contact with you about what it looks like during the week uh, to be part of what God's doing at Summit. Uh, There are a lot of people in the room, and I'll just tell you this too, uh, on the spectrum of life right now. So there's some people who are killing it, slaying life right now, like they're, they're firing on all cylinders, and there's other people in the room right now who are going through some of the deepest, darkest moments of their life. Utter agony, suffering, pain right now, and here's the interesting thing is that regardless of where people are on that spectrum, there's people here that are coming together and finding a common hope and a common, a common life um, with Jesus and with one another. And so, so uh, regardless of where you are in your life, we would love to help you uh, in any way that we can. Um, as much as anything else, welcome, man. We're, we're glad that you're here. Uh, by way of other announcements, uh, this afternoon, actually this evening at five o'clock Uh, If you're part of our church or you just want to come and check it out, we're going to have a town hall meeting at 5 today right up here in this room. Uh, You can come bring any questions that you have. We're going to present a little bit more of some of the details of the plans that we have for this year. We're going to have plenty of time to do Q&A, any questions. Concerns, any discussion we want to have tonight. And we want to invite you uh, to be a part of that. The last several weeks, we've been talking about some of our bigger plans for the rest of this year. Uh, And so, if you're part of our church, you know that we value uh, your your presence there, but also your input. Uh, And we we really do believe that this is your church as much as it's our church. And so, we want you there. uh, And so, it's tonight at 5. If you're going to need childcare, please, if you haven't told us yet, let Brooke uh, know, let me know, Uh, let one of our staff know. Uh, that you're going to need child care so that we can try to have that ready to go tonight. Uh, If you show up and you didn't let us know and you show up with your kids, uh, I don't know what we're going to do with them. I might go watch them. I don't know yet and just make, you know, someone else answer all the questions. So, uh, yeah, let us know. So, anyway, other cool things going on, but let's jump back into John today, which I'm excited about. We've been going through John for a long time together as a church. We took a break from going through the book of John for, for Christmas time, for the beginning of this new year. But we're going to hop right back into it. So if you have a Bible, you can open up to John chapter 15. Uh, we left off John uh, back in November in John chapter 15, verse 11. Uh, just by way of reminding you if, you, if you actually look at John 15, verse 9 through 11, let me read that to you. And this kind of sets the context for the passage that we're going to be in This morning in in John chapter 15 verses 12 through 27. But uh, verse 9 says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love or remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide or remain in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And so what he's going to jump into next and what we're going to talk about today is Jesus is really going to talk about uh, the centrality of who we are as Christians. In other words, what ought to mark our lives at the center? When people look at Christians in our culture, you know, there's a lot of different things that they see, right? And so in our culture, people see and think about Christians in a lot of different ways. And I wonder at times, what really marks us? Like, like what, what is it that people would say, this is what a Christian ought to do? is. Jesus is going to come in and he's going to talk to us about that today. He's going to say here is a very almost unusual unexpected command that I'm going to give you about who you are as a Christian. He's going to then say in light of that here's a warning that I'm going to give you, but then here's some power to go do it. Here's the ultimate power to go and do it. And so we're going to talk a lot about kind of who we are as Christians today. Now, if you're not a Christian in the room, I'm glad you're here this morning because hopefully what you'll see is that what the Bible has to say about Christianity oftentimes is very, very different than what the popular notion of Christianity is in our culture. And there are a lot of different opinions about it, right, in our culture. So, I came from New Orleans before we moved here, and I lived in Los Angeles. I've lived in Dallas, and this is almost like a small town to me, even though Athens is more like a suburb at this point, but there's still a very small-town feel, and I've grown to really love it. There's a lot of awesome things about living in a small town that, that I've really enjoyed, but one of the things that kind of makes me nervous about living in a small town is that fishbowl mentality, you know? Like, more people recognize me around here, and I'll give you an example. Like, we just we finally moved into our, our, our house I uh, feel like I won the lottery. Moved into our house and like we're we're in this neighborhood and and I'm walking down the street and one of our neighbors comes out and says, "Hey, uh y'all you, you just moved into that house down there in the cul-de-sac, right?" And I said, "Yeah, that's right." She goes, "And you're the pastor, right?" I was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, that's uh that's me. I don't know who told you that." And then I was walking another day when it wasn't 30 degrees outside and another neighbor comes out, "Hey, you're the guy that lives down in the cul-de-sac, one of the houses down in the cul-de-sac, this, the, that one right down there, right? I said, yeah, yeah, and he goes, oh, and you're the pastor, aren't you? And I'm thinking to myself, man, how do these people know me, let alone know where I live, and I'm having to grow into the fact that when you were down in New Orleans, you didn't let anybody know where you lived, and you hardly went outside your door, and when you went out to the grocery store, you didn't run into anybody that recognized you. But here I can't even walk down my street without everybody even knowing not only where I live, but what I do. And, and I wonder to myself now, when it does finally warm up, it's so cold here, when it finally warms up and I actually go back outside and now I'm trying to get to know people, I wonder what they'll see in me. Like, I wonder what they will see in my life and then associate with Christianity. Because obviously in the South, if you live in a place like Athens, Uh, Obviously, a lot of people have opinions about the church. A lot of people have opinions about our faith. A lot of people have opinions about Christianity. And now I'm going to go live in this neighborhood. And there's no getting away from the fact that they know what I do. And therefore, they're watching my life to see what marks me. What is at the center of my life? What kind of Christianity am I going to be known for? You know, and all of us in here, if we're Christians, it's a question that we wrestle with as followers of Jesus. What marks you? What is the center thing in your life that others look at and say, that must be his God or her God? You know, Jesus comes in and he says, uh, what we do at the core as Christians is really is so central that it's going to be the primary way that people associate their faith with me. In other words, what you major on is going to be what people assume your God is or what your God's like. Now, Jesus comes, and the way he goes about this is he gives a command in this passage to his disciples that is central, but it's almost unusual, almost unexpected to the people that aren't used to Christianity, aren't used to the Bible. Climb into their skin for just a second. Like, Try to listen to this with fresh ears for just a second. Listen to what Jesus says really ought to mark us as Christians. If you jump back into John chapter 15, Starting in verse 12, it says, This is my commandment. He's about to give a commandment. He says, pay attention. This is my commandment, that you love one another, as I have loved you. And he goes on to say, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you, and no longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Notice that Jesus has this command that he throws out to the disciples, and he says, The command, what ought to mark you? When people look at your life and say, what is it that they do? The the one word that ought to come to their mind is they love people. They love others. They love one another in the church, but certainly implied here is that they love people who are outside of the church too. He says, if you want to keep my command, love one another. Just like you've been loved by me, love one another. Now it's interesting that he says that love is sprung out of an overflow, the love that we have from God. Y'all know the gospel, right? The gospel is that God loved you so much that he saw you in all of your sin, and he sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sin. In other words, the gospel is the good news that you aren't accepted by God based on what you do. You're accepted by God because he loves you and sent Jesus to die for you. And so he's saying out of an overflow of that love, we ought to go love others. But then he says, this is what love looks like. And he uses the word friend to describe it. You see that? Verse 13, greater love. Has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends? In fact, biblically, the theme of friendship is probably the strongest relationship that the Bible talks about. So so much so that you can talk about the relationship between a husband and a wife, and if there isn't friendship in the marriage, there's no true intimacy going on in the marriage. The concept of friendship is, is a huge concept in the scriptures. And Jesus is saying, if you're going to be someone that goes out and loves others, you have got to understand that to love others is to lay down your life for others, just like they are your friend, as if they are your friend, as if you're being a friend to them. Friendship. So, do you, and, and I guess that's my question for you: Do you have friends? Do you have any friends? It's kind of a weird word today, right? Like, like, do you have any friends? I mean, if you think about it for just a second, friends are, friends are good when you know them. Friends are good when they're kind of like you and they enjoy being around you and you enjoy being around them. Uh, uh, friends really are the people, like, y- you have a lot of people, uh, but, but really your friends are the ones that you know the deepest and they know you the deepest. But then, on the other hand, in our culture, like, that word friend gets thrown around a lot, right? Like, I know I have about 2,000 friends on Facebook. You know, and so, like, I, I, does anybody even use Facebook anymore? Like, like, I have 2,000 friends on Facebook, but you and me both know that those aren't my friends. Like, like, yeah, they, they, it says friends, but we don't have any depth of relationship with each other. And, and on the other hand, too, when you go into my neighborhood, I can walk down the street, and I've have neighbors. The neighbors know I'm the dude that lives in the house in the cul-de-sac, and I'm the pastor. But they don't know me, so it's not like they have that conversation with me, and then the very next second they go, hey, let's be friends. Like, you're my bestie. You know, like, there's no... There's no like relationship like that. We know that friendship, is it, there, there's something deep to that word. And, and when Jesus uses that word to describe what we're to do for other people, to lay down our lives for them as their friend, it's really, really critical that we understand some of that. When it comes to laying down your life, to be a friend to somebody else really kind of takes two major things, at least, two major things. First thing is, if you're going to be a friend to other people, You have to give them all of yourself. In fact, to the the extent that you hold back from someone else, who you really are, you you actually are limiting your friendship to that person. Because in the end, we have to know people deeply in order to be all that close to them. And so this is why friendships are so often fractured. It's, It's because in the end, you only reveal so much of yourself, but there's so much that you've yet to reveal to them that you never have all that deep of a connection. In, in fact, another way of saying it, there's a great book that Donald Miller wrote called "Scary Close," and it's a great book. You can go pick it up and read it. Uh, it's a it's a great book. And, and in that book, what makes that book so haunting is Donald Miller makes the case that that for for two people to have true friendship, to have true intimacy with each other, they have to know each other and all of each other. They have to they have to be able to enter into one another's lives in a way where there are no more masks. And in fact, to the point that you are hiding something, to the point that you are hiding from this other person, your, your connection with that other person is ultimately not going to be all that close. That's why you look in marriages all the time, and there's, there's, uh, there's uh, some level of intimacy, but it's not complete intimacy when there's secrets being held. Is, this is why when you look at the relationships that you have with your friends or your co-workers or the other students in your school, a lot of times the reason that you don't have good relationships with them is because you don't really know them. You've held back from them. And, and Donald Miller says it's scary to actually enter into a, friend, a true friendship with other people because it means you've got to drop your masks completely and be honest. This is who I really am. And the issue with that is we fear that because if I really drop my masks and show you this is me and all of my my broken glory, uh, I'm going to be rejected by you. And so a lot of people go through life and they think they have friendships, but when they go to bed at night, they're laying there and they finally don't have the energy to hang on to the mask any longer and the mask drops, they know that they're not known by anyone. They don't really have any friends because no one really knows the true them, only knows the mask. And Jesus is coming in and saying, yeah, you need to go love other people, but you need to love them as a friend. But here's the thing, if you're really going to be a friend, you've got to give them all of you. You've got to be someone who drops the masks and says, this is me. This is who I really am. And, 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 and I'm loving you not, not as some fake, phony Christian out there. Putting, always putting on a smile and putting on an act and having my smoke and mirrors. Now this is me. Yeah, I'm flawed, but, but I love you. It's so hard to do that. But here's where you get the first little tidbit of good news in all of this. is Jesus comes in and he goes, before I ever called you to go be a friend, where you drop your masks and you go and you give all of yourself to another person, you need to first understand that I've dropped my masks, that I have given all of me to you. You know, when Jesus comes, he doesn't wear masks. When Jesus comes, he's like, this is who I am. Jesus comes and he's utterly perfect, but he completely reveals himself to us. That's why we have the scriptures. God has revealed himself to us. And notice that when Jesus uh, reveals himself to us, he calls us no longer servants. He calls us friends. The reason he calls you a friend is because he says, now you know me. I'm revealing all of me. I'm giving all of myself to you. Now, it's interesting because the rest of the world goes, I don't want to know all of you. In fact, hold back some of it. If you give me all of your junk and all your mess, it's going to stick to me, so stay away. And Jesus goes, hold up, I'm going to give you all of me. And the beautiful thing about the gospel is not only am I going to give you all of me, but I'm going to reveal more and more and more of me, more and more of God's glory to you so that you'll know even deeper who I am. And so here's the beautiful thing. In a world that says keep your masks on, in a world that says you got to put masks on to be accepted, in a world that says uh, you got to posture in a room like this in order to, to make a difference in the world, or in a room that says you can never truly be you, God sees you. Some of you have walked in with so much shame today, so many hidden sins in your life today. Some of you have walked in and, and you, you just legitimately are doing your best to hide for as long as you can. God sees you. He sees all of you. You cannot hide from him. And yet in return, what he's offering you is friendship. I'll show you all of me, and you give me all of you. It's grace for you. You realize, in all of your wickedness and all your sinfulness and all your brokenness and all your shame and all your pain and all your suffering, all your junk in your life, he's going, I want to be your friend. I want to know you completely. And it's out of an overflow of being known completely by God and yet utterly accepted by him that you can go out and give yourself completely to other people. I mean, after all, like if I drop my masks around you and you reject me, I'm still accepted by the only one that truly sees all of me. And so you can be friends to your neighbors. You can be friends to your coworkers, to your other family members, to people in this church, to people outside of this church. You can, you can let them see all of you. You don't have to hide anymore, man. This is a safe place for you to be who you are. Even in your shortcomings, there, there's grace for you as much as we're offering grace to other people. So friendship is giving people all of you, but it's also, as you give all of you to the other person, it's never letting them down, too. You know what I'm saying? Like a true friend, you can call in the middle of the night and they pick up the phone, right? Like the, the true friend, when, when the you-know-what hits the fan in your life, they're the first ones showing up. The, the truest friends that you have, they don't abandon you in the middle of the storm. They go right into the storm with you. And Jesus is saying we are to lay down our lives for other people as if they are our friends, meaning not only will we give them all of who we really are, but we will do everything we can to meet their needs in any way we possibly can. We'll even lay down our lives for them. This is what's so powerful about Christianity, is it it drives people out of an overflow of the acceptance that we have to literally lay down our lives for other people who are desperate to be loved. Who are desperate for support who are desperate for friendships and it's why so much of christianity that's been hijacked by this kind of programmatic faith is so powerless like think about this for just a second when we think about loving other people uh, a lot of times people go okay in the church then what we need to do is we need to come up with another program to go love these people and we tend to think of people out there as problems that need to be solved and so we'll go, okay, let's do something to serve our city. Uh, there, there's a homeless problem in our city right now, so we're going to uh, sponsor a food drive, and we're going to give food to this homeless person or these homeless people. And we go and we do this like, this like, event, and there's nothing wrong with doing those events. In fact, it's very loving to be able to contribute to people. But when it stops at that event, you got to understand that then we're looking at that person saying, your only issue is you're homeless. So in other words, I can do that event. I can give them some food. In fact, we can pool our resources together and go and pay their rent for the next six months and get them off the streets into somewhere, and we can even go and and, and bring them the food and, and maybe even find them a job. But in the end, if all we're trying to do is fix a problem in somebody and say the problem is they're homeless and they need a job and they need some money, That's not laying down our life for a person. See, people aren't problems that need to get fixed. They're image bearers of God. And because they're image bearers of God, you don't love someone simply until their problem is fixed. You love them because they're an image bearer of God. And therefore, all of their life is worthy of laying your life down for. This is why I love people who come in and they say, uh, we 're not just going to solve problems in people 's lives we 're actually going to pursue the people we 're going to lay down our lives for people there 's a great organization uh, called Community of Hope over in uh, Huntsville right now and what they 're doing is they 're putting together this uh, amazing homeless uh, kind of like community where, where people who are on the streets can come in have housing but in the same community where there's, there's actual community happening between the people, there's food and there's all that kind of stuff, but they're also learning job skills so they can go get on their feet again. There's all kinds of counseling being offered, all kinds of uh, medical things being offered all in this place so they can get to know each other, they can share life together, and then they can go and, 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 and get off the streets and actually live, uh, you know, live their life again. And what I love about Community of Hope is they don't see it as a problem that needs to be solved. They don't call these, uh, th- this is a homeless person. They say this is, this is a friend of ours who doesn't have a home right now. And what they've done is, you know, they've got these stories. It's just really, really amazing. What they've done is they literally will go into a lot of the homeless camps here in town, and they'll befriend the people there. They'll spend the entire day with them. They've, they've been taking people who are in these homeless camps, and they've invited them into their missional communities with them. They've pulled together their resources and got some of them uh, places to live and then invited them into their lives and into their living rooms so that part of your missional community is this person right here. Now think about the dignity that that person has now. Yeah, you helped me get into a home, but you also have opened up your life. You're sharing all of your life with me. In fact, you're allowing me to speak into your life as much as I'm allowing you to speak into my life. And there's these beautiful stories of these lives being shared because because they were willing to lay down their life and say, This isn't a problem to solve. This is a human being to love. I, when you begin to look at what Jesus has called us to do, He's called us to give all of ourselves to people and then to lay down our lives and, and, and never let them down, to meet them anywhere that they possibly have need. It's overwhelming when you stop to think about it for just a second. It can seem exhausting don't worry, we're going to get to some power here at the end. But before we get there, he goes, yeah, it is overwhelming. He doesn't tell you that this is easy. In fact, he goes the opposite direction. He says, here's the thing. Can you imagine if a church was doing this? Can you imagine a church that was completely authentic and open, and a safe place for people who are just dropping their masks and being dead honest with each other? There's there's people struggling with habitual sin and finding help. There's people uh, struggling with anger and 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 finding joy and peace and and grace with others. There's people that are struggling and financially, and people are meeting their needs. There's all this stuff happening in a church, and yet everybody's authentic and everybody is loving each other, and everybody's really known and laying down their lives for one another. You think about it, man. That's really happening, even to unbelievers, that looks attractive. Who doesn't want to be a part of that? Who doesn't want to be a part of that kind of community? And Jesus is like, pump the brakes for just a second, because before you go running out of here and go, this ought to be easy, let's just love people, uh, he says, he gives us this dire kind of warning. (laughs) He says, be be careful. And and here's what he says. We're going to try to love people, and the world is going to hate us for it. The world's going to hate us for it. In fact, look in John chapter 15, starting in verse 18. It says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Jesus is saying we are called to go love a world that will hate us for it. Now the world in John, by the way, is anybody that's outside of the kingdom of God. Anybody that hasn't been saved by the gospel. In other words, the world is a, it consists of the people they haven't been saved by the gospel. And the, and, the, and the Bible's really clear that we can go love them. And let's just say for just a second that there's no hypocrisy in the church, even though I know there is, but let's just say there's no hypocrisy in the church. and We actually really are loving other people, completely laying down our lives. So they'll still hate us for it. It's this dire warning that he throws at you. And there's at least two different reasons that the world hates this idea of Christian love. The first one kind of just comes down to what Jesus says right here. He says it in verse 20. He says, Remember the word that I said to you. And he says, If I kept my word, they, if, if they kept my word, they will also keep yours, meaning they haven't kept Jesus' word. What he's saying there is that his word is truth. The, the first reason he says the world's going to hate you. Is because in the end, what we're saying essentially is the reason for our love is because Jesus has come into our life. And the moment that they know that the reason for everything that we're doing is because of who Jesus is. And the fact that that's what they need to find ultimate life. Suddenly they go, there's a higher authority than me. And the problem with that is when Jesus comes in, he says, this is my word and there's no higher authority than my word, and they have rejected it. You need to understand and not be surprised by the fact that the world rejects the idea that there can be a higher authority than the individual. Because the default mode of the human heart is for us to reject any authority over our own selves. It's the way it's always operated, all the way back to the Garden of Eden when sin first entered into the world. See, the non-religious person it's all about me, 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 because a non-religious person says, I don't like Jesus because in the end, if I have to submit to an authority higher than myself, I'm not gonna be able to do the things I wanna do. And because I think I know what I need for me, if I submit myself to the Bible, the Bible's just gonna kill my fun and I'm, and I'm not gonna get to do all the fun stuff I thought I was gonna get to do. But don't you see that for the non-religious person, they're saying, the biggest issue is I don't want an authority other than myself over me. But the religious person's actually the same. Because the religious person isn't saying, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. The religious person is saying, I'll do what God tells me to do. But they're still saying, the way that I get acceptance is through me. So if I follow God's rules, and I do all the things he's told me to do, then God will accept me. Which is just another way of saying, there isn't any higher authority than my own performance. So it's still about me. they still about me. And so when we come in as Christians, something completely other than non-religion, something completely other than religion, we are something completely different. We have a gospel. But when we come in and we say it's all about Jesus and therefore his authority is higher than your authority, yeah, the world lashes out. It says, no, 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 no. That's not the way that works. I don't want to come under that at all. I don't want to come under that at all. In fact, sometimes what ends up happening is People are so trying to maintain their own independence that they'll, f- they'll flat out lash out against you. Even if you're laying down your life, sacrificing, showing them grace, they don't want authority over them. In fact, the Bible says in this room right now, some of you are in that camp. And you don't think that there's a higher authority over you. The Bible's really clear whether you believe it or not, it's true. And the only way you can believe it is we'll see in just a second if, if God moves over your heart to open up your eyes to the truth. But for all you Christians in the room, when we go out and we love other people, you've got to understand that those that are blind will lash out at us because they don't want authority over them. And a lot of times, especially in our community here, it's as much religious people as non-religious. The other reason the world hates us you jump back up into verse 18 is because the world doesn't own us as christians and the world hates what it cannot own see that's what jesus says actually look at verse 15 if you were of the world the world would love you as its own but because you are not of the world but i chose you out of the world therefore the world hates you the world hates what it cannot own and it does not own christians as much as the popular culture wants to tag us with different categories, and, and place us into different tribes, the true Christians are not owned by anything in the world. We are completely other. We're owned by Jesus. That's our allegiance. That's where we stand. And for the world, that doesn't make much sense. It doesn't, it doesn't gel. This is why Christians have a hard time, a lot of times, climbing the corporate ladder at your job. You know why you've had a hard time, you've maybe hit your plateau and you're really struggling to get that next step up and maybe some other people are getting promoted in front of you that aren't even as qualified as you and the reason Christians a lot of times have a hard time climbing the corporate ladder is because you're not owned by the firm. You're not owned by the company. You don't, haven't given your allegiance more to the company than you've given your allegiance over to Jesus and so therefore your life is marked more by sacrificing your life for others and loving people than it is for sacrificing your life for your company. See, it doesn't make sense to the world. The world goes, you should love the company, and because you don't love the company, I'm going to push you out, and I'll bring in the person who does. But it goes into all kinds of categories with this, right? This is why you can't peg us into a category and say this makes up Christianity because our allegiance isn't in those categories. I mean, I could, the, the world will hate us because it thinks we're in these categories. And then the people in those categories will hate us because they're like, you're not with us. You don't make sense with us. Like, I've got all kinds of, let me give you a couple of examples. Okay. So, a couple of examples. All right, so can we just all agree that there's a lot of political strife in our, in our culture today? Okay, so I'll just drop the P word up here on, on stage. Uh, so, there's a lot of political strife in the world. Okay, you realize that people on the left hate Christianity because they've associated it with people on the right. Or they've associated it with something else, and they say, I hate Jesus because if I turn to Jesus, it means I won't, you, you don't love uh, people, you don't love social justices, you don't love all these things over here, you don't love the poor, the marginalized, and they've associated it with something completely different. Whereas people on the right, they go, we hate Jesus because the, the people that are following Jesus, they seem too woke, or they seem, all these words that they throw out, they, they don't care about individual freedoms, and morality seems to be a secondary thing, they're always talking about grace, and, and so you end up with all these like political camps, and they go, well, Christians in the South must be over here, they must be over here. Christians on the West Coast must be over here, they must be over here. And the whole time, us Christians, we're going, we're neither. This, this, this is not my allegiance. My allegiance is to Jesus alone. See, see, you hate me because you can't pinpoint me in your predetermined circles that you're trying to place me into. And so therefore, when we talk about political strife, the Christian steps into the middle of that and says, yeah, you, you can have people on the right, you can have people on the left, you can even have people in the center, the moderates in the center that are saying, uh, the reason we don't like Christianity is you, you take too many stances, you're not open-minded enough, you're not nuanced enough. And we go, we're not even in the middle, we're something completely other. Jesus is our allegiance, not our political party, not our political ideology, And so for the world, the moment you poke at some of that stuff, the world a lot of times has found their identity in those circles, and so it's why they lash out at you. This is why I'll say that in a room like this, and I'll make somebody mad at me. You won't even listen to me anymore, because your allegiance is to your political ideology more than it is to Jesus. But I'm not here to say that there there, there isn't, isn't any reason for us to take stances in our culture, but I am here to say our allegiance is primarily with Jesus, and so the world will hate us for it. Because they won't be able to pinpoint where we are. Okay, so it's not just politics, right? Like I can give you a couple more. Um, so, politi- you know, let's drop the temperature and uh, let's, jump into, let's jump into money. You know, money. Who doesn't like a little bit of money? Right? The rich hate the idea of Christianity because they think that if they turn to Jesus and place themselves under his authority, they'll become poor. They won't be able to chase after their comfort through finance anymore. The poor, on the other hand, hate the idea of submitting to Jesus because the last thing that they have is their dignity. And the moment that they have to give their lives over to a higher authority, they're giving up their dignity. And we're in the middle here going, Christianity is something completely different. We're 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 not a religion. We're not the message for the rich or the poor. We're something completely different. Jesus emptied the throne room of heaven and actually made himself poor in order to make us rich, with riches that go beyond money, that go beyond comfort, that will last for all of eternity, and that's offered not just, to the, not just to the rich man, but to the poor man. Not just to the rich woman, but to the poor one. It's offered to all. We we're something completely different, and the world will hate us for it, because in the end, the world is blind to see the truth of the gospel. And so when we go out and we try to love other people, it should not surprise you When you see your neighbors acting like morons, when you see your neighbors completely filthy in their sin, when you see your neighbors like yelling at you and like upset with you, or like when you see the people you're trying to love press back on you, Jesus is saying, Don't be surprised. They hated me. They're going to hate you too because they're blind. And so we're left with what do we do then, man? (laughs) It's not very hopeful. But there is hope, and there is a way forward for us. Because on the one hand, you have this very dire warning, the world's going to hate us, but on the other hand, you have a very clear commandment, go and lay down your life for them anyway. So where's the hope in this? And Jesus comes back and goes, if you're going to do this well and find any kind of joy in the middle of it, you're going to need help. You can't do it alone. You're going to need help. And thankfully, he sends the helper. This is what he says in verse 26. Jump to verse 26 with me. He says, But when the Helper comes, the Paraclete, the Holy Spirit, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. You know what What God just said was when you're sent out to love other people, you never go alone. You never go alone. Do you realize that for just a second? Okay, so, so a couple of, couple of things. Let me, let me just talk to you very kind of big picture, and then let me give you some good news. Big picture. Do you realize if you are a Christian... When Jesus died for your sins, he didn't just forgive you of sins, but he also rose again into new life. And the evidence that you've been risen into new life with him is the Spirit of God is now alive inside of you. That means the presence of God is wherever you stand. That means this isn't the house of God here unless we're gathered here. And then, yeah, it is the house of God because the Holy Spirit is in you. The Holy Spirit is in you. So, therefore, the Holy Spirit is in this place. Y'all exit this place. it sits empty. It's no longer the house of God because the Spirit, the Helper, is not here. It's in you. Now think about this for just a second. The Holy Spirit goes with you anywhere that you go. So that means when you walk across the street to go love on the neighbor that you think hates you, you're not walking across the street alone. The moment that you step into the presence of that neighbor, do you realize the neighbor is now in the presence of the holy God of the universe? Because the Spirit is in you. Every interaction you have with every human being, Christian, is an eternal interaction. Everywhere you go, the Spirit goes with you. It's not even your choice. Who can separate you from the Spirit? You did nothing to earn your favor from, earn favor from God. You did nothing for your salvation. It seems logical. You're not going to be able to separate yourself from the presence of God. Everywhere you go, the Spirit is there. Now here's the good news, is that the Bible says when the Spirit is in us, it's the Spirit that goes before us into people that we're trying to love, and it's the Spirit that begins to testify into their hearts about the truth of the gospel. You you realize the reason that people hate you is because they're blind, because they're enchained in their sin. They're utterly lost and dead in their sin. This is why we can love everybody and not judge them for their sinfulness. We were just as blind, we were just as enchained, we were just as dead in our sin and we were set free but the reason that they hate you is because they can't see it and the holy spirit goes ahead of you opens up their eyes and witnesses to them the truth of the gospel so that by the time you intercept a human being with love if god has moved over them and has opened up their eyes they will respond to that love because they've seen the truth of the love of jesus and now you're reinforcing it as you come in and display it with the way that you care for them Reinforce it with the words that you use with them. Show them that what they're beginning to believe is true is actually true. This means that any work that we do in loving other people is work that the Spirit is doing first. And therefore the pressure is not on you to go save people. The pressure is not on you to go and, and, and somehow make people love you. The pressure's not on you to go and make sure that you have the the perfect gospel presentation and that you're doing it in the perfect strategy as you go and love your families and you go and love your neighbors and you go and love all these people. No, the Spirit goes with us. And it's the Spirit that does the hard work of opening up the eyes of the sinner so that they can be saved. So your job to go in and this command to go love other people is not a command to do it so that God will bless you. Because God has blessed you, we go. And we can go knowing that we are utterly uh, with the presence of God everywhere that you go. And let me tell you this. When you have a friend that's with you in the storm, you can go through a lot. You can take on a lot. When you're not alone, there's a lot of energy that comes with that. There's a lot of stuff you can do. Which is why it's so important that you understand that Jesus, when you think about it, took on the nails, took on the suffering, took on the hatred of people like you and me and our sin, people like the world. He took on that hatred. But on the cross, Jesus was utterly alone. It's what we deserved because of our sin. Think about it. Jesus went through his suffering, and there was no friend there to comfort him so that you and me could go through our suffering and never have to be alone. You are a friend of God through faith in Jesus. Therefore, you are not alone. You are a friend of God through faith in Jesus. Therefore, you don't have to hide. You're a friend of God through faith in Jesus. So therefore, you can know that you are loved. Do you see the absurdity and yet the beauty of the gospel call? Over you today. Before we ever go out of this place and we love others, laying down our lives for them as if they're our friends, you first got to turn to Him and receive that love from Him. So that's what we're going to do as we close out. And I encourage you to turn back to Jesus right now as I pray. Father, I praise you for the grace that you have given us, that we can see all that Jesus has done for us and and know that you love us enough to call us your friend god we we were your servants and now you call us your friends you've revealed yourself to us a servant doesn't need to know why you're doing what you're doing and yet you've called us friends we we know your heart we know that you're making all things new for your glory and the good of others we know your heart we know that though we did not deserve it while we were yet sinners you pursued us you died for us God, we're so grateful for that grace, and I pray it over people in the room right now. Open up the eyes of people who have had hardened hearts and hardened lives for so long. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would bear witness to their souls today of the truth of the gospel. God, even right now in this moment, man, there's there's hearts in here that need to turn back to you, and I pray that you would give them eyes to see ears to hear the call of the gospel that they would turn to you in faith and find you to be a god that is utterly in love with them god i pray for people in here who feel the need to wear masks that you would give us the courage to drop them that you'd give us the courage to be true friends to one another by by sharing all of ourselves who we really are. I pray that there's people right now that are thinking about connecting or feel utterly alone, and I pray you'd give them the courage to to come in and to drop their masks and to find acceptance, to find friendship. And Lord, we pray that as we understand the great love that you've given us through Jesus, as as we dive deeper and deeper into our friendship with you and our friendship with one another, that you would show us as a church and push us as a church to be out there Loving others by laying down our lives for our friends. Lord, we pray this to you for your glory, our Father. Through our Lord, our Savior, our friend Jesus. By the power of our helper, the Holy Spirit, amen. And so as we close out today, we're going to do what we do every Sunday. And that's turn back to Jesus to worship him. The way we're going to do that is first we're going to take communion together and then we're going to worship him in song together. And so you should have gotten a cup that looks like this on your way through the door. If you didn't, they're on some tables in the back. You're welcome to jump up and go get those. And in this cup, there's, there's a piece of bread and some grape juice, which is just a, a little ceremony that we do every week where we turn back and we recognize the centrality of the gospel in our midst. I'll show you what I mean. Uh, if you peel back that film on the top of this there's a piece of bread in there and it looks like this and this bread represents the body of Jesus that was broken on the cross it died on the cross for our sins and so today if you can look at what Jesus did on the cross when he went up on the cross he died for your sins if you can see that that work on the cross shows you that God wants to call you his friend not through anything that you've done but through what Jesus did for you on the cross. That the good news of the gospel isn't that you just get your sins forgiven, yes, you do. But through your sins being forgiven by Jesus on the cross, God now looks at you and says, I wanna know you. I call you friend. Are you a friend of God through faith in Jesus today? If so, turn to him and share the bread with us this morning. That on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took some bread, he passed it around to his disciples. He said, take this all of you and eat it. This is the bread of my body. It'll be broken for you. So do this in remembrance of me. Next, there's a little tab on your cup. If you push that down, you'll hear it pop. And then you can peel back that foil layer. And there's some grape juice in there. And that grape juice represents the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. But the blood of Jesus, whenever you hear people talk about that in the Bible, represents a new covenant that God wants to enter into with you through the gospel. See, the new covenant is that God not only wants to call you a friend, but wants to know you completely. He wants to reveal himself to you he wants to walk with you by sending his helper now, the Spirit, into your life so that you're with him constantly. And then one day when we die and his, he's, he returns for us and he rules for all of eternity, we're face to face with him. That's the good news of the gospel is in the new covenant, you get the presence of God and he calls you his friend. So if you can believe that, if you can receive that new covenant through faith today, then I encourage you to take the cup with us. But later that night, Jesus took a cup full of wine and he passed it around to his disciples. He said, Drink this all of you. This is the cup of my blood, the new covenant, that'll be shed for you. So do this in remembrance of me. And so would you stand with me as we worship God? Father, as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim the name of Jesus until he comes and we turn to you. We recognize that you are at the center. You're better than all things. Help us to believe you, God. We worship you and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.